You're listening to Spiderweb Salon's podcast, where we talk to poets and authors about writing, being a writer, and having ideas. Thank you for listening. Today, we'll be speaking with Darren Bradley. He's the author of three novels and holds a PhD in English and has taught courses in writing and literature at several universities. He has served in editorial capacities for a number of presses and journals, and he previously worked as the principal screenwriter for ID Software, an industry-leading video game design studio. His short fiction, poetry, and critical nonfiction have appeared in a variety of print and online publications. Today, Darren will be reading an excerpt from his forthcoming novel, Totem. Because God has better plans than the state of men, the priest says in English. Some of his brothers sit cross-legged on the stone around him, their backs to each other, a many-eyed beast seeing everything at once. And the natural state is in the way, the weak state, the state that sponges radiation and alters the fluid pressure of vital bodily treasures. The tourists pay attention around him, earphoned, taking in the plaza by Worldview's best measure, its guidance and information app. The host is a tower upon its mound above them, and they turn like wildlife to check it on occasion. The great scaffolding and sheeting to calm it down for human interaction. There are preservationists in Geiger counters at work. Priests in hard hats and wearing safety lines loiter with the workmen, keeping an eye on the secular task of protecting the sublime. The state that grows tumors and destroys valves to become something different than the inferior. Shamas eyes the observation panel the transparent tarp exposing a great climbing rectangle of the host, as tall as the smaller buildings below it, the old ones. The clustered sarcophagi behind the tarp are still and angled in their placement, amalgamated, one saint upon, around, beside the one before him, the one after, the multitudes. The holy plaster the priests use to affix each human blessing to the next is paler than the sarcophagi themselves carved from the stone and hoisted and pulleyed and allowed to rest where God's physics deem best. The holes through which the holy men delivered their dying admonitions, entombed with the brothers waiting for them to quiet down and move on. The holes look like dimples, large, infalling cones to amplify those important last words to their clinging, rope-wearing priests. The way we're born, it isn't enough. It's nothing in comparison, and God in his mercy will help us from our suppressive chrysalises. The tourists snap photos, take video. They lean, in, lean into each other to see how it's going. Shamas can tell the Americans by the looseness of their borrowed lead cloth, the whirls of poorly applied abatement cream, the way they pay attention to tolerate religiously. The priests at their feet grind their segments of stone and offer the holy dust in small vials on lanyards. There are jars for donations, confetti filled with everyone's currency. One priest can accept donations via credit card or finance app through his phone. Shamus's coffee is too hot against his lips. The line at the dispensary across the street is too long now. He wouldn't have waited in it. The foreigners look uncomfortable, learning how long to wait for the free goods and services they came for. God promised. The saints teach us so. He created paradise. He gave us air. It's holy stones with their invisible power, his power, himself, a great incubatory nursery where we can grow into terminal form. A pair of jets roar their maneuvers overhead, and the lampposts and trees and benchbacks blink their distraction, their camouflaged lenses readjusting for this latest interesting thing. The jets drag their sounds as they stitch the sky with their feathering contrails, borrowed from the UN effort, tarmacked in the territory of one of Air's neighbors, because Air just never has built their own facilities. 
which is fine with Shamus. The plains tear air's dirty skies, its divine air with that caustic sun burning them all so brilliantly. Later, air's other neighbors, their last occupiers before independence, will fly counter-patterns, like stitching the rest of the shroud of international interference. Everyone has threads to contribute. Their neighbors want air to know they're still around. Shamus looks at the nearest cafe. The copper awnings haven't been polished recently, probably due to the flare, exposure regulations. He doesn't see any empty tables through the cigarette smoke and shade. He likes the jets. He looks at the exposed swath of the host again, gives his tongue a controlled burn with the coffee. He hopes the jets have bombs, so some people, at least, may be lifted unto God on the wings of glowing megaton angels. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so I am interested in this concept of the dystopian novel. Um, mm. You're our first writer that we've gotten to talk to about this kind of idea. Um, I'm interested in what has inspired you uh, to write these these three books kind of based on this uh, very post-apocalyptic, you know, you know, wasteland. Sure. Where that comes from. Well, I think it kind of comes from uh, the environment that I kind of found myself in after I graduated. So um, in 2007, um, I finished a PhD and my wife and I moved across the country. She took a job as a professor, a tenure track job. And suddenly um, I didn't, I didn't have any employment. I had this head full of cognitive theory. I just graduated. I had a different book that was out on the market. It was more of like a, an epic fantasy kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was terribly homesick and I missed everyone. And um, I just, you know, right before 2008, when the, uh, the economy started to kind of quake and fall apart, everything just felt really kind of dark and, and lonely. And so the whole thing started with noise, which was basically, um, you know, an ode to a city that I loved, Denton. And uh, the only way that I could see to put it behind me was to burn it down. And so that book was a way of saying goodbye. Um, but then as it, you know, as it's in the process of, you know, reaching publication, everything that that book was kind of predicting starts to happen in the real world. And it was very unnerving and, you know, unemployment was, you know, on the rise. Uh, people were struggling to make ends meet, uh, being dislocated, whatever. And, and it, it occurred to me that there was more to say about the dystopian model than Noyce had said. And, and I'd always kind of hoped that it would be like a three-part sort of um, series of books, even though they're, they're not sequels, but I do think of them as thematically related. And so really it was just a reflection on the state of the world around us. I mean, you know, things are looking up a little bit better now, but we can all think back to the last five or six years and, you know, that's pretty dark politically, economically. You know, a lot of people struggled. You know, publishing itself lost some imprints, some major labels, you know, agencies are closing. So the world felt like it was falling apart and, and I felt that it would have been disingenuous not to uh, pay attention to that and address it with the fiction. Um, and Chimpanzee was the, the second book in this collection. Um, yes. I, I personally have not read that one yet, yeah. but um, I, I did go and do some research and there's, um, there's a little bit talk of, of literature and maybe the uselessness of literature uh -huh. in, yeah. um, in a dystopian society. How do you come to terms with that? How do you write about that as a writer of literature? About the, the, the sort of useless nature of literature? Yes. Um, in a dystopia or just how, in general? How do, how do you work with that as you're, as you're writing? I mean, what, what are your ideas there? Well, I mean, uh, I think that comes from a desire to sort of see artists um, be a little bit more honest with themselves. I mean, in today's comment culture, everything is about reviews and shares and clicks and comments. And so yeah. there's a real creation of the social self that people do to, to affect that. Um, and that can create a sort of disingenuous, you know, unreal kind of art. Whereas you know, taking the time to realize that 
you know, you're not a special snowflake and there are millions of artists who are all trying their best, you know, and, and by artists, I mean everybody, musicians, writers, you know, painters, whatever. And everybody is, is trying to make their voice be heard. And when the reality is that the, the world doesn't honestly really care very much. And so the sooner that you can kind of find some humility and realize the futility of a lot of the artistic effort in, in a good way, then I think that you can actually affect, you know, m more genuine expression. That, that sort of idea of, of, of humility, of, of the futility of art. I mean, that's kind of its point, right? I mean, it doesn't hold up buildings. It doesn't make cars go. Um, but, you know, that's what we love so much about it. And so I think if there is a refrain across the three books that has to do with, with that idea, that, that sort of iconoclasm, I guess, um, it, it, it would be probably a un, not subtle uh, wish of my own that we were a little further away from the, the clicky clicky review comment culture that just, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. Yes. It eats me alive, so. That's probably in there somewhere. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your creative process, um, the, the process of having an idea, mm -hmm. sitting down and saying, I'm, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to write three books sure. about this idea that I have. Um, where, where do you start and what, what is your, your physical process, like mm -hmm. actually working? Like how long does it take you to... Sure. Well, first of all, um, never, uh, never tell you, never tell yourself you're going to write three books about a thing. Cause by the time you're on the third <laughs> one, you're sick of the thing. And, uh, and that's true. So I'm very glad for this to be put behind me, but, um, it's been very different for each of the three books and, um, especially for the, the fourth unpublished one, which, um, I've taken off the market. We had an offer on it a long time ago and then I just decided I didn't want to write that kind of fiction anymore. Um, the one commonality between everything has always been that I envisioned the ending first. Um, it starts with an image, a, a scene, you know, something that just kind of flashes in my head. And then if it's compelling enough, and it has been each of these times, I end up working my way backwards, asking myself, myself a bunch of questions. You know, why? You know, why did we get here? How did we get here? You know, over and over until it sticks. And it sort of unfolds the story in reverse. I mean, I write them from front to back, but I envision them from the back to the front, right? So I, I don't want to spoil anything, but the ending of Noise has a very specific cliffhanger ending, and that's where it all started. And chimpanzee has the same thing. There's this, you know, rather striking image of, of uh, it's really hard to talk about endings without giving them away, yeah. but uh, in totem is the, is the same way. Um, and so um, with uh, Noise, I wrote very fast. It took about three months. I mean, it, it sold two months after I'd finished it. It was the fastest thing I'd ever seen. Again, I didn't have a job, and I was, you know, full of, PhD education in cognitive theory and you know, experimental literature. And, uh, chimpanzee took longer. It took like two years. Um, we moved back from South Carolina to Denton during about halfway through that book. And so I switched from writing it uh, at my desk on my laptop uh, in an office back in the Carolinas. Um, we, we came back from Asheville to writing it in, on a spiral um, uh, at various bars around town that take it back and transcribe it. And then uh, Totem took twice as long. It took four years. I wrote it entirely by hand in a notebook and then transcribed it uh, or typed it into the, wow. the document. Yeah, I, I specifically wanted um, each of the three books, you know, I wanted them to be harder for me to do than the last and more ambitious. Um, you know, the, I wanted them to have a real risk of failure and like very serious, you know, change. and there's, you know, and it is very real every time. Um, but Totem, I needed to slow down how quickly I wrote and I needed to be basically behind my own thoughts, you know, that I, so that I wasn't typing as quickly as, I mean, I'm sure you're probably the same way when you get to typing and even if you're used to doing 90 words a minute, like you're not really present for what's happening. Absolutely. And so Totem is, um, it has a really, um, much more subtle plot. And so it's more like reading a documentary about this fictional, uh, city. Um, so that was the physicality of it was I actually, it was the first time I'd ever done it and I recommend it, but it takes a lot longer. 
uh, to sit down and do it all by hand. Have you have you noticed an evolution of your style over the course of these books? Yeah, totally. Um, noise. So I started with a really florid, embellished voice, the first book that I told you about. Um, and I don't know what happened between that and noise, but it broke apart. And so noise was very bombastic and very loud. I mean, short, broken sentences, you know. Uh, Appropriately so. Yes, right, <laughs> given the, the content. Um, you know, really aggressive syntax, a lot of experimentation. And um, and it kind of slipped back and forth between uh, recollections of the past and the present, you know, pretty frequently, which some people loved and some people hated, of course. Um, chimpanzee became, I, I was trying to write a book that was more ambitious, and so it was a little, um, the language was more elevated. Um, the clauses were complete, you know, the sentences worked as grammatical units. It was still brusque and short. I've never really been wordy ever since getting away from that first book. Um, and then Totem uh, is kind of a, a blend between the two. It, it doesn't use as much broken prose as Noise did, but it's certainly far more lyrical than Chimpanzee was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's changed for each project, and it's been interesting to watch because, you know, you never know, is your voice your voice, or are you going to change a bit, or what? So, I mean, I think you'll see some, some familiarities in there, but, yeah, it's definitely a each of the three books is different. So. Wonderful. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to read yeah, the, the last two of the series. Yeah, um, right. yeah. They're real so, heartwarmers, let me tell so you. So your, um, your editing process, is, mm -hmm. is that something that is collaborative? Um, or is that a solo? Do you have an agent? How does that work? I do have an agent. Um, what, what you'll typically find, I mean, all agents are different, but um, the first book that you sell to an agent, he or she is going to be pretty heavily involved with, and will do a lot of edits for you to get it into the shape that they mm -hmm. need it to send to an editor. Um, after you've sold the first one, um, they're a little out of the way in the sense of the relationship is now between you and the editor. So uh, I know a lot of authors will send their books to their agents for feedback, but you don't have to necessarily. Um, so in my case, um, I don't do a lot of heavy editing. I, I don't write really quickly, uh, despite what it sounds like from noise. The physical writing process is not very fast, like even though if it only takes three months or so. So I'm very deliberate and very careful about what goes onto the page, and so uh, very rarely does anything have to change. Um, I added uh, some material to Noise the second time through after my editor had seen it. Um, she wanted some to round out some of the secondary characters. Um, Chimpanzee, the only thing that really changed, um, the way the flashbacks were presented changed a little bit, and it was based on the fact that um, someone who'd expressed interest in the film rights didn't think they could make a movie out of that book, which when you read it, you'll see why. And I agreed with her. And so we made some changes based on her suggestions that actually made it more readable for a literary audience, not just a, a potential cinematic one. And with Totem, um, I'm just about to do, you know, I just finished that draft last week and uh, I'm going to do a pass through it and make sure that it's not garbly gook and, you know, completely embarrassing. And then I'm just going to hand it over directly to my editor, who's also my publisher. And, um, you know, if he's got no problems with it, then, you know, we'll go ahead. Um, you know, I'll let my, my wife is probably uh, my uh, strongest editor. She looks at everything that I do. And, and this book in particular is based very heavily on a lot of things that she deals with, um, you know, international aid, humanitarian crises, you know, the uh, identity politics of the Middle East versus the West, um, you know, donor fatigue, things like that. So all of that factors, factors very heavily in this book. So I'll probably, I might actually, now I think you've talked me into it. I think I might let her have a look first <laughs> and then we'll set Good up idea. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Good idea. That. I trust Rima. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned a, a fourth novel that mm -hmm. you had pulled. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little about that, or or if you'd prefer, and what are you what are you working on currently? Um, um, what's could, what's next for you? Sure, I can. Uh, I'll, I'll briefly do both. The the first one was part of an envisioned trilogy. I mean, I grew up in the '80s, and so I was reading all of the, you know, Tad Williams and you know, uh, 
geez, he was, he was one of my very favorite authors when I was a teenager. Um, you know, uh, Melanie Ron, you know, a lot of these people who are writing these huge doorstop trilogy fantasy books. And that's what I thought you did. And so I envisioned one and plotted one out. And um, I only ever got the first one done. And it, it took me a long time to write because that's when I was learning how to write a book. And, um, you know, it's your typical castles and, and dragons and stuff. And, I mean, it was a little mind-bendy. I mean, I think you could imagine that the kind of stuff that went into the other two books, you know, um, made its way in there too. But ultimately, again, there's nothing wrong with it. I just I didn't want to finish that series. I didn't want to write that way anymore. So by way of example, the next book I'll be working on, um, uh, which I'm not quite sure when I'm going to do it yet, but will be a very Texas-based book. I mean, uh, Noise was um, set in, in Texas. Uh, but this is going to be about Texas, so Texan characters moving around the state, um, you know, exploring uh, the sort of psychogeography of the different places. And, and it'll be, it might even actually be a little bit funny, which would surprise the hell out of me because I've never been able to be funny. You know, some people can, but it's very hard. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm hoping to do something a little bit lighter. I've written all of these heartwarming, dystopian, you know, <laughs> depression novels that I, I think I'm ready to try something. Yeah, so. write what you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> So we do you have a, a website where where can we we find most of your books in you know the big the big box stores you right can. Um, yeah you can um, you know and you can always order them from Amazon I mean a lot of people don't like Amazon I'm fine with them they sell my <laughs> books uh, yeah you, you web, get paid I do I get paid <laughs> the website is just darrenbradley.com okay and uh, it's got links to just about anything that you'd want to see other interviews excerpts um, you know things like that and. Um, it's got a blog that I never update, but there's some things on there for you Fair to look enough. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. You've got other things to write. Yeah, totally. Um, is there anything else you would like to know, um, let people know about upcoming events? or Your book is coming out in October, correct? It, it is, yeah, October 11th, I believe. And um, I'll be doing some events um, in Dallas um, and in Denton, uh, probably working with the WordSpace folks again. Um, Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, I'll look for that, and hopefully I'll, I'll see everybody in one of the two cities. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to Spiderweb Salon's podcast. I'm Courtney Marie, and this has been a Pariah production.